to Trauma Talk. This program encourages you to do a mental assessment of any trauma you have experienced and help you become proactive in your own personal healing and thereby create a better world for you and your loved ones to live and thrive in. Now, here is the host of Trauma Talk, Ezrina Rose Scott. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Trauma Talk. Here with me today is Mr. Claire Jansen, my friend, my colleague, and my former supervisor from years ago. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Ezrina. Great to be with you. Yeah, Thanks thank for you. asking me. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Now, Claire is the funeral director and counselor at Springfield Funeral Home. And he is a certified grief counselor with the Grief Recovery Institute. And he's an instructor for the Canadian College of Funeral Services for eight years. And he's been teaching the psychology of death, dying, and disposition. And today's episode, I would like to dedicate to my friends whom, who have lost uh, a loved one. Uh, Carlene, she lost her husband uh, a few years ago. And uh, Stacy lost her husband uh, several years ago. And Karina, she's the one that actually requested uh, this show on grieving. So thank you for that information. And our friend Ed. And we'd like to acknowledge um, the process that our friends have gone through. And Claire, tell us, you know, what is grief and loss? Big question. Yeah. Well, loss is any one of probably 40 different kinds of absences that we experience. Everything from uh, the death of a loved one to the loss of a pet to moves to a change of job or career. Um, There may be something gained, but there's also something lost. We're probably talking more about loss by death this morning um, for this show. Uh, Grief is the natural response to any kind of loss. It has often been used interchangeably with the word mourning, grief and mourning, but they're two distinct things. Grief is the internal response, all of that all of those feelings and emotions that we that we experience on the inside, whether it's anger or bitterness or anguish or panic or just a poignant sadness after a period of time. Uh, it could be rage. It could be depression. Desperation. Uh, desperation. Um, Sometimes guilt. The whole host of emotions that we experience on the ins- inside, which we may or may not be aware of or acknowledge, but that's grief. Mourning is the intentional uh, release of those emotions to the outside in some form. It's sending a card. It's going to a gravesite. It's having a funeral. It's um, going back to our favorite restaurant and engaging with what I feel at that place where life meant so much and was so rich and so good. And re-engaging with that place without my loved one. That's an act of mourning. Everybody grieves, but not everybody mourns. Oh, interesting. So would you say like the grieving is internal and the mourning is external, like an action that helps you process the grief more? Is that fair to say? Yes. So you would recommend actually mourning, taking action 
to process out the grief? Most definitely. Okay. Yeah, and there's a tendency on the part of the bereaved to isolate themselves because it's so painful. Yeah. And they often see themselves as a burden to other people. They don't want to trouble other people with their load, and so they they kind of uh, cocoon themselves for a while. And it takes a lot of gentle coaxing on the part of those who are in, in their inner circle to to bring them out and to help them to mourn. Even for the bereaved to acknowledge, I am grieving, is an act of mourning. Oh, interesting. To say the words, I am so depressed, I don't even want to be here. Okay. And, and I find that a lot of people don't know how to respond to someone in grieving. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. Sometimes they say the wrong things, like, oh, life will get better, or you'll get through this, or la, 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 la. And mm-hmm. I find those simple statements aren't that helpful. What do you say to that? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Many of them are meaningless. Yeah. My passion is to educate people to take the focus away from what should I say, from that question, what should I say, to who should I be oh, good for question. my bereaved friend. Right. What do they need? So focusing not so much on me and what I should say. Or how uncomfortable it is for you wondering what to say. Yeah, everybody's awkward. Yeah. It's hard to be in the presence of somebody who's who's in excruciating pain. We feel helpless. And we often buy into that helpless helplessness. And the work that we then do is to try to get out of our helplessness. Right. But the focus is on us that's rather right. than the, the grieving person. That's correct. Okay. So we make the focus on the grieving person and plow through our awkwardness to come close. Right. What does that look like? Oh, then that raises the question, what do they need? Oh, they're in distress. How can I help the distress? The, the part B of the question, what should I say, is the unspoken to make them feel better. Right. Okay. Or what should I say to make this go away? Or what can I say to ease their pain? The answer is nothing. I was just going to say, is that even possible? So even just being silently present, sitting with them silently, can be more valuable than actually speaking something that might come out wrong and hurtful. Showing up is the most important thing, not speaking up. Oh, interesting. So showing a, up, not speaking that's up. That's an awesome mantra. If, if all we did was memorize that and practice that, showing up, not speaking up. Oh, I love it. Very good. So give us... There's, a, there's, there's a place for words, Ezrina. Yeah. There's a, an important place for words. But if we could just take the focus off the words, in, in this, here's a simple uh, picture for that. We have two ears and one mouth. Yeah. So listen more than speak. (laughs) At least twice as much. Or even say, you know, friend, I don't actually know what to say right now, Mm -hmm. but I want to show you that I care, so I'm going to be here with you. I mean, just acknowledging that they're awkward and don't know what to say can be helpful. Yes. So what are some very specific things that people can do to support someone going through the grieving process? Like you mentioned a a couple already. What are are some more? We'll give the audience some tools well, I guess trying to understand what it's like or imagine myself in their position. Okay, so your your grieving friend has lost a spouse. 
well, if my spouse passed away, what would that look like? Oh. My wife is from Manitoba. She took our young children years ago back to Manitoba for, for two weeks. I stayed here and worked. I spent 90% of my alone time at home waiting for them to come, come back, oh. looking out the window, wanting them with me. That was for two weeks. I can't imagine doing that for the rest of my life. Wow, what a perspective, hey? So entering into that, what would that look like? And therefore, what would I need? What would I want from someone? Right. And offer that. And, and, you, and you mentioned offer specific things and not say, oh, if you need anything, call me. Which puts all the pressure on you and, and allows me to sit back and wait for you to figure out what you need. Most grieving people have no idea. Their, their world has been turned upside down. They don't know what they need. Right. Uh, again, depends on the loss, right? Some yes. people actually come alive if there's been a, a long trajectory towards an anticipated death event, mm-hmm. not not a, a positive, you know, anticipation, but a, a dreaded anticipation, if you will. There, then uh, there's um, Well, you mentioned anticipation. So, anticipatory grief. There's a difference between sudden loss and anticipatory grief. Can Can you speak to that? Like, there's a difference if you're anticipating losing someone, you actually have some time to to grieve while the person is still with you, whereas a sudden loss can be that much more traumatic. Each of them ha- has its own set of, of ups and downs and, and uh, uh, dynamics. Head- looking towards uh, a death event is what we call anticipatory grief. Okay. There are many similarities to a sudden death and the bereavement after, but there are quite a few uh, differences, and they, they need to be handled uh, very distinctly. Um, what I was going to say before is that often when you're when you're anticipating a death, there's a huge sense of relief and a sudden awareness of what I want, and as opposed to necessarily what I need. My grandmother uh, actually came came alive after the six and a half year trajectory towards her anticipated death of my grandpa. Take me here. Take me there. Oh, what's that? And and uh, she wasn't even aware of the immense relief that she felt wow. that that he had passed, and that she didn't ever have to go back to the care home ever again. Um, so a sense of freedom and aliveness sense again. Sense of freedom and and wanting to wanting to 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 go here, go there, um, and uh, but the 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 sudden loss just really throws people for a loop, and they don't know what they need. And so we have to do the work. The people around that person have to do hard work. Oh, good They have point. to do as much work as the grieving person to enter it. For example, you know, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. What can I bring you today? Yeah, which is very specific. Very specific. Awesome. Or, hey, I could use a massage. Do you want to come with me? Thinking that if they're grieving, they're really tense. 
They may need to have a, a, a relaxation time. So offer it to them. Take them with you. Those are very specific, concrete things. So not ask an open-ended question like, hey, what can I do for you today? Because mm-hmm. someone who is grieving is overwhelmed and, and mm-hmm. distraught with emotion. They can't even think straight. Right. So that's why, okay, I really like that. So mm-hmm. ask right, very specific anything things. anything you need, call me. Again, it's all the pressure is on you to know what you need and then to take the initiative in the midst of your depth of your grief to right. to, to reach out to somebody when you don't really feel like it. Yeah, I, w- I would have a hard time. I can see why sure. that question would be a bit daunting. Like, oh, I don't know what I need and I certainly don't have the wherewithal to ask for it. Especially yeah. if someone has learned throughout their life how, you know, not they don't know how to ask for help. That's even harder for them. Okay, mm. so... I know that with um, with grief and loss, there are some people that speak about going through the process and there are stages of grieving. Um, some people use the word tasks of grieving. Some people use stages. What, what do you want to say to that, Claire? If one of the characteristics of the bereavement experience is a sense of powerlessness or helplessness, which often is, I think the last thing that I would want to let a griever know is that he's going to be passing through some a set of stages. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did the medical community and all of us a huge favor by mm-hmm. identifying some of the attributes. We've mistakenly plunked that that model on a grieving person and said, these are the stages that you'll be going through and which kind of which can often leave the the griever even more um, at the mercy of his grief as so I prefer to use the word tasks okay. if that's the only model you know use it yeah right there's, there's nothing wrong with that but give yourself lots of flexibility a, a gentleman came to me and, and said I understand one of the stages of of grief is anger when is that going to happen to me mm, like an ex- setting them up for an expectation yeah I said, do you feel angry that your wife passed? He said, no, I don't. I absolutely don't. I said, if and when you do, come and talk to me and we'll, we'll process, that, process that together. Um, I'd much prefer to, to talk about the tasks of mourning. Um, I don't know if you, do you should, we, should we address them? Okay. Well, so are, is there a certain number of tasks? Uh, different writers on grief and right. loss have different uh William Worden has four. Dr. Alan Wolfelt has seven. Uh, there, you know, Catherine Sanders and uh, Doug Manning. They they all have a, a, a way of communicating what's important in the grief journey. I have seven. Mm. I've, I've adopted these as my own. Um, first is to accept the reality of the loss. To and and most people do that. It's it's the people around the griever that seem to be in denial. Um, oh, interesting. The second is entering fully into the loss, tolerating the pain, and doing good grief work. The third is commemorating the deceased. Is translating the the relationship I had in real life to one of memory. The fourth is to develop a new identity because you have a new identity. And that is how who am I without the person yeah. who died. What does that look like? What will my life look like? Uh, contemplating the mystery, death raises all kinds of uh, uh, metaphysical, uh, you know, and uh, uh, 
questions of an afterlife or where is my loved one gone, you know, and it's important to contemplate the mystery, not avoid those hard questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, then to garner support, we're not, we don't want to live alone, so let's not grieve alone. And the, the lastly is to discard any grief recovery timetable. Just take the, the end of this right out of the question because I have been forever changed. And there's relief in acknowledging that even more than dreading the interminable. So with these tasks, Claire, without setting someone up with expectation, oh, I'm going to be angry, or when is the anger going to to surface, or what have you, uh, what do you say to a grieving person in regards to the tasks? Just they may or may not show up, or... Do you, do you prepare them? Do you normalize? Like, what do you say? I encourage them. I give them this list. And I say, here are some things, concrete things that you can do to measure how you're doing. Mm, okay. I encourage a griever to be intentional. Here's an image for you. I encourage them to personify grief as an unwelcomed roommate who's knocked on your door at three in the morning says, I'm staying here for the, in, for the next undetermined amount of time. Oh, I am your roommate. Right. He leaves his socks in the front entry and entryway, keeps you up till two in the morning, wakes you up at four in the morning, is rude, is unpredictable, unreliable, and you have two options. You can fight him and he'll stay longer. Right. Or you can surrender to him and say, you win, you stay as long as you like, when you're ready to go, you go. And then engaging intentionally with um, with my grief, being deliberate and doing the grief work, starting on these tasks, make sure I've done them. And do they come in a predictable order? No. No. So they can, and they, they can show up and then disappear and then show up again and disappear. And- there are things that I do uh, intentionally some of them, uh, like developing a new identity, is kind of in, in, in a way thrust upon me. I've got to register my loved one's death. Do I want to do that? No. Right. But I've got to gather information. I've got to give it to the funeral home. I've got to, got to get a death certificate. Do I want? No. Everything I touch is forcing me to face the fact that I am someone else and I have lost. So there's some practical tasks and there's grieving tasks. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd like you to share a little bit more about each of these tasks when we come back from a break. Okay, Claire? Sure. Okay, thank you. Be back in a moment. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Visit Ezrina.ca for information about counseling and body healing services. Ezrina is a master's therapeutic counselor registered with the Association of Cooperative Counseling Therapists of Canada. She has 10 years of counseling experience. She will work both in her office as well as via Skype or will travel to your area through her workshops. You can even schedule a session online. These sessions are one hour or 90 minutes long. Visit Ezrina.ca. Again, that's Ezrina.ca. Ezrina Rose Scott conducts several workshops every year, and she can bring them to you wherever you are. Visit Ezrina.ca or call 250-212-5596 for more information. Ezrina is an Access Consciousness practitioner. Her popular workshops include Access Consciousness, The Bars, as well as workshops on money, body, and relationships. Ezrina's workshops can help you get unstuck and move forward in your life. 
Find out more or bring a friend along. Visit Esrina.ca for more information or call 250-212-5596. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. To reach our program today, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Ezrina at Ezrina.ca. Now, let's return to Trauma Talk. Right. So a while ago, I attended uh, Claire's workshop on grief and loss, and he said something that really struck me. And somebody asked a question in the audience, well, what, you know, this is what I do. Is this normal? And Claire's response was, well, in the grieving process, the abnormal is normal. So just just respond to that, Claire, because it really struck me. It's it's really taking people out of um, judgment of whatever it is they're experiencing, because it just is. The griever's often looking for a path. He's looking for some kind of direction. They've never been here before. It's an uncharted. They're in uncharted territory, and it feels like a desert. So the important thing isn't necessarily to identify what should I do, but what am I experiencing? And to to be able to tell yourself the truth at any given time about your internal realities. I'm really angry. What am I going to do about that? How do I I process that? Um, Grief often looks like depression. They're very similar uh, characteristics from uh, to between grief and depression often grief is misdiagnosed as depression um, there I have a lot of uh, good doctor friends here in town that refer people to me and the, the client is relieved to know hey you're not depressed you're not clinically depressed you're just grieving go and see a grief counselor mm. well that's awesome I can help that person mm-hmm. um, so Whatever is, is, is the griever also has to learn to live in the moment. It's a bad moment. Yeah. Lots of bad moments, but learning to identify what, what am I going through right now? And, and that can change 10 seconds later. Somebody invites you for dinner. They really care. They don't want you to be alone on a Friday night. They invite you for dinner. I tell the griever, if you're halfway there and you become overwhelmed, and you say, I can't do this, you have the permission to turn around and go back home and call and say, hey, can I take a rain check? I just can't. I'm not ready yet. So choose again. You you, you have the prerogative to choose again, no matter yeah. where you're at. Okay. Mm-hmm. So many, many years ago, I remember when my grandfather died and we were in the church in, in the um I guess the funeral service. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I were in the the church and we found ourselves giggling and giggling 
and giggling, Mm -hmm. like uncontrollably giggling. And I know that that would be perceived as inappropriate behavior at a funeral. So that's abnormal. But in a sense, would it be normal? Because as kids, maybe that's the only way we could process that loss. Could very well be. Yeah, and I hope there were some understanding uh, adults present that uh, that allowed allowed you to be uh, kids and uh, process it that way, understanding that you wouldn't always process it that way. Right, and I remember it wasn't that, that you didn't actually find it funny. No, it no, and a, it wasn't out of disrespect. It was, it was just, just a way like, for your grief to. Yeah. To, to, it just bubbled over, and yeah. that's how it bubbled over. Yeah, and we like we're like, okay, what do we do with this? And I, I mean, I look back now, and I'm like, wow, that wasn't really appropriate. But wow, it was where we were at in that moment, and mm-hmm. it and it just seemed to re- release something mm-hmm. for us. So that's an example of what appears abnormal, but really in the grieving process is normal. So let's let's go back to the task. I want to say one more yeah, thing. Yeah, go about for that. it. Grief. I believe, throws a magnifying glass on my essential personality. Oh, tell us more. So, if I'm basically a... Give me an example. I had a lady in one of my grief support groups about 10 years ago who came to me after the second meeting and said, I don't think this is for me. I said, okay. Uh, Tell me why. She said, you know, sitting here with people talking about how bad they're their life is right now uh, I respect that but I'm a glasses half full kind of gal I'm looking for the lessons that my son's death is teaching me and that's where I want to focus my energy I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling pulled down and so she left the group and that was perfect because she she figured out that's what she needed Wow and so being being among other sad people wasn't it was a bit heavy for was, her was too heavy for her for her basic personality so she needed to be in a group or find support for that so her grief manifested more of that optimism if a person is basically or <laughs> given to a lot of anger in life they tend to be you know hard and sour you're going to see a lot more anger. It's going to come out in all mm. kinds of ways. Uh, so that, that's what I mean by grief throws a magnifying glass on our basic oh, personality. Yes. I'm basically a depressive person. I'll probably go into a much deeper funk than, than I have been. Um, if I'm, you know, if I'm uh, upbeat and, and lighthearted, um, you know, you'll still see that, but I may not be as lighthearted, but, I'm, but you're still going to find that. And so supporting the person in that, identifying who they are right, and walking with them in that is important. So there is no room for judgment because it's so different. Everybody's grieving process is so different. Unique. Yeah, unique. Yeah, good word. Mm-hmm. So let's talk more about the tasks. I know that they're different for everyone. Um, they stay longer or they might be more intense for others. Or Yeah, let's, let's illuminate what these tasks are a little bit more. The first task that... Uh, these tasks sometimes happen simultaneously. Mm. I shouldn't say happen. We tackle them often simultaneously. Would that increase the intensity? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, but the first one is to accept the reality of the loss. In other words, to grieve and to mourn. 
one of the the stages that Dr. Elizabeth Kugler-Ross identified was acceptance. There was an empirical study done uh, a number of years ago, which identified that acceptance wasn't often the last of the stages, but often happened very close to the beginning. Most grievers accept what's happened at some level. So if they don't accept it, it's a denial? Well, you would think, but uh, denial comes in in the order of the stages that she identified before acceptance. Mm -hmm. Shock, denial. As if we reach acceptance much later than we actually do. Right. Most grieving people arrive at acceptance very early on, within the first week or month Mm. of the loss. And that persists throughout whatever other... um, uh, stages or um, emotions that they go through. Okay. Um, accepting the reality of the loss is, is a task. So how do I know if I've done that task? Well, am I identifying, am I being truthful about all the emotions that I'm experiencing? Am I trying to push anything away? If something comes up, Let's say if anger comes up, and a lot of people are scared of anger. Um, yeah, they are. Or they, they don't, it takes a while, for example, for someone to admit that they're angry that their spouse left them, even if they got sick and died. There's still an element in which, uh, of, of experiencing the unjustness of death. Yeah, I have to go through life alone now. I'm yeah. angry How about dare that. you leave me yeah. and leave me alone with these four kids yeah. and, and the mortgage and all of this? And you know, all the decisions and the caretaking, yeah. It's an overwhelming burden. And so yes, it is. it's important to acknowledge, you know, are you really angry at your spouse? Well, maybe you're ang- angry at death, at the fact that death came in and stole something valuable to you. Mm-hmm. Identifying that you're angry and the object of the anger and processing it like that is critical. Um, so all of the emotions, grieving, identifying them, and laying them out. Journaling is a great way to do that. Getting quiet by myself, booking 15 minutes a day to write in my journal. Or Yeah, there's emotion take, in motion mm-hmm. when writing. Taking charge of the night when grief wakens me. Having, having a journal right at my bedside. Right. And instead of lying there fretting that I can't go to sleep or artificially trying to get there, which I don't oppose. Um, if you know, if, if you got a cut, put a Band-Aid on it. If you need, if you need some, some, uh, a prescription from your doctor to help you sleep, get it. You know, grief is hard work. You're going to be exhausted. Mm-hmm. Sleep is important. But if you can't sleep, take charge of the sleeplessness. Have the journal there. Sit up and, and start writing what's going on. What are the thoughts? It doesn't matter what it is. Put it down. And that's one of the actions that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Action is actively mourning to process the, the grief. grief. That's okay. correct. Awesome. Yes. Doing something about the, the feelings. Getting it out. Yeah. Not, don't let them sit there and fester. Get it out. It, um, externalize them. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Um having some kind of an event that honors my loved one is critical more more people come come to us asrina uh, uh, after the fact not having had a funeral and regret it oh. than than the other way around 
So the act of honoring that person is so, so important. Marking their existence in my life in space and time seems to have an incredibly therapeutic effect. It, it, it gathers people around who are the potential support pool. Right. When I, as a celebrant, talk to people who are attending a funeral, I, I tell them, this is your task. You're here today, but the fact that you're here today represents that you will be here tomorrow and next week and next month that you will do the hard work of continuing to sit on the morning bench with them. So I'm going to ask you later what happens when people aren't actively mourning, but we'll stay with the tasks right now. The second is to enter fully into the loss, and that is to tolerate the pain. Tolerate the pain. To tolerate the pain. I think we were hoping for an easier answer, Claire. The only cure for grief is to grieve. Like actively grieve. Oh, man. We are forever changed. Um, That's bad news and good news. Um, Grievers are looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, and I get that. We don't want to feel bad. Right. Uh, I mean... How many times did our mothers say to us, in answer to our question, you know, uh, well, you know, should I go to, should I go to, should I get a trade or should I go to university? I don't know, son. I just want you to be happy. You know, should I date Sandy or Mary? I don't know, son. I just want you to be happy. So we're often groomed with this idea that happiness is a worthwhile goal and we actually pursue happiness which is really a byproduct of actions that I take as I come to maturity, maybe. But um, tolerating pain is really is counter counterintuitive to to the way we often think. Yeah, and most people avoid pain. At all they costs. avoid anxiety. They avoid fears and phobias. Like they're actively avoiding. Mm-hmm. And we're now telling mm-hmm. them in the grieving process to do the opposite. To really embrace what that pain is. Do they get through it faster? <laughs> I know this is a long term, but <laughs> I don't know if they get through it faster. But there there's an element of empowerment that happens when we great when word. We, when we allow, when we encourage the griever to do the grief work, it's yes. good grief. Yeah. So the morning to me, I, I attach the word empowering to it because mm-hmm. it's it's empowering people to to move through the mm-hmm. tasks. Would you agree? It's the cure for that helplessness. Ah. Is uh, to to do grief work to to tackle it to to um, not not to fight it but to embrace it really. If if my if the goal is to be happy, you won't grieve well. If right. the, if the goal is to help your friend get happy again, you will not be a good good friend to the griever. And you're almost invalidating what they're experiencing in that moment right. by trying to get them to the happy mm-hmm. place. In in that sense, Ezrina, good or or uh, normal grief or the grief after the death of a loved one, it, though it's traumatic, yeah, it's a necessary trauma if you will it's it's a natural process that i must go through i should be traumatized oh, okay i should um 
it's okay for me to, to there's so many bad words, but it, it is okay for me to be feeling bad right now. And I, one of the, the tasks is to, in acceptance is, in, is to say, I will tolerate this. Why? Because my grief is the mirror image of my love for my loved one. So there's a correlation between the depth of your love and the depth of your Absolutely. grief? Okay, okay. And when you say embrace the grief, that means that if you do feel like screaming, then scream. If you do feel like laying in your bed and sobbing for a half an hour straight, then you lay in your bed and sob for half an hour. Is that what you mean by you embrace? Have, you have permission. Yeah, and give yourself permission. That's really important for the griever to give him or herself permission to do exactly that. We have the, the right to be self-preoccupied. And everybody else around them has to do the work of giving leeway for that, allowing for that. Hence, the, the giggling. Right. Saying, that's what they're feeling right now. That's okay. And it was inexplainable. Mm-hmm. We just, I mean, it certainly wasn't funny. I think that's just the way we were uh, releasing um, that energy uh, in our bodies and, and the grief. All right. So, okay, so we got through task one and two. Mm-hmm. And um, I, we're going to take a, another short break. And I, I'd like to come back to exploring uh, more of these tasks. All right. We'll, we'll be back in a few moments. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Visit ezrina.ca for information about counseling and body healing services. Ezrina is a master's therapeutic counselor registered with the Association of Cooperative Counseling Therapists of Canada. She has 10 years of counseling experience. She will work both in her office as well as via Skype or will travel to your area through her workshops. You can even schedule a session online. These sessions are one hour or 90 minutes long. Visit ezrina.ca. Again, that's ezrina.ca. Ezrina Rose Scott conducts several workshops every year, and she can bring them to you wherever you are. Visit ezrina.ca or call 250-212-5596 for more information. Ezrina is an access consciousness practitioner. Her popular workshops include access consciousness, the bars, as well as workshops on money, body, and relationships. Ezrina's workshops can help you get unstuck and move forward in your life. Find out more or bring a friend along. Visit Ezrina.ca for more information or call 250-212-5596. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. To reach our program today, you may call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, you can send it to Ezrina at Ezrina.ca. Now, let's return to Trauma Talk. All right, so now we're going to move on to task three, Claire. Share, share with us what that's about. Task three is to commemorate the deceased. 
And that is to find ways of converting the relationship that I had with the person while alive into one of memory. We at the funeral home offer a tangible way of doing that. We have easels and collage boards, metal boards with magnets. We invite people to bring hard copies of their photographs of their loved one and their life with that person and display them. One family decided that was not going to happen. Fine, not everybody uses them, but we didn't get the significance of the adamancy of we are not doing that. When I visited them about three weeks to a month after the fact, they told me why they had been so adamant, but why they had then changed their mind Mm. and actually done it. Which is a good learning piece for you, Mm -hmm. right? When they share that with you. They said... Uh, they, they, their, their son had uh, had been sick. He was an, ath- an athlete. He was a hard body, a jock. He got sick at age 19. The only medication that would alleviate his pain caused him to swell up and become edemic. And he became quite large because he couldn't exercise anymore. He got, got quite soft. And he was sick for eight years and finally died. Wow. When he died, there was an immense, immense relief that came over this family. And they just wanted to wipe away the last eight years. When the director said, bring some photographs, the last thing they wanted to do was remember that that time. Right. But they were stuck there. They didn't, they, 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 they had forgotten that there were actually 19 good years. They had momentarily forgotten that. They were so focused on getting rid of those bad memories and not having and trying to... And you can understand why. Yeah. It's painful. Terribly. When I visited them, they they said, come downstairs. I want to show you you something. Um, We went down, uh, it's kind of a split level, about five, six steps, and there was this large den area in the in the in the lower lower area, and and the entire walls were covered with large poster boards full of pictures. The entire room, I was surrounded by images of this chap. And they said, when you first said pictures, we just wanted to wipe out our pictures. But we came home. And our other son had pulled out a photograph. He was just flipping it through it. Then we realized, hey, this could be a way for us to recapture the 19 good years. But they just weren't at that point yeah. yet yeah. when you had that. When the suggestion was made, that's right. all he could focus on. No, no, no. And they came home and they pulled out all the albums. They pulled every picture out of the albums. It's like 20 years ago. And we didn't have phones with all the pictures. Right. <laughs> Everything's digital now. But, Album, uh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, sorry all you young people. Um, <laughs> the, um, it was so therapeutic for them. And they, 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 they recaptured life with their son. And it was amazingly... That's what I'm talking about, commemorating, turning the... the, the the, the life, the relationship that I now have, which is non-existent. I can't relate to that person physically, but I have memory. So commemorating, doing things that... that Really uh, celebrate bring, the celebrating person. Celebrating that life, yeah. And honor, yeah, mm-hmm. good, okay. 
Next one I would say would be developing a new identity. And again, you can see how these all these overlap. Mm-hmm. As you accept the reality of the loss, you're, identi- you're developing a new identity. You're saying it's going to be somehow it's going to be okay and I'm going to figure out how to do alone. I did together. I spent however many years doing together, learning togetherness. Now I have to learn aloneness again. Can you imagine a, a, a young girl 50 years ago is 17 meets uh, her her uh, her her loved uh, you know at the at the prom and uh, by 18 she's married she leaves her own home goes straight to a home with him yeah what is alone (laughs) what is what is it she can't even remember yeah she cannot remember what alone was it's hard We, we, we we can't assume that just because she's old now and had a long life that she's somehow you know going to be a widow well it's hard work. Yeah, I know this older lady who lost her husband, and she said to me, she says, Zrina, my life was a fairy tale mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how to move forward without yeah. him. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Amazing that your life was a fairy tale, and how sad that it's ended as such. An old, older German lady uh, who, whose husband was amazing to her. She described life with him. He was he was the king, and and she was the queen. He, he, you, you don't you don't need a driver's license. I'll take you. I'm your chauffeur. You just ride here. I'll take you everywhere. And uh, he looked after the money. He hired the gardener. He went to buy do the groceries. He did. He just took care of her. That worked until he got cancer. And then she didn't know what to do because she wasn't prepared. She wasn't prepared, and he refused to acknowledge that he was dying. That would mean having to give up his role. But then that's way more traumatic for her. Which is what it became. Yeah. Over the two years of his cancer uh, journey and then subsequent death, she became more and more afraid, terrified of what life was going to look like. And because he didn't want to talk about it, which right. meant to acknowledge that he was actually not going to be there for her. It was too hard for him. Uh, she she was she was literally uh, shaking when I came to see her. Wow. And I had to help her and rally other people to support her develop a new identity. What does it mean for you now to be alone? There's a van in the driveway. She doesn't have a license. What do I do? Right. Uh, I don't even know who the gardener is, let alone how to get a hold of him. I don't even know how much money I have. Wow. All of those things, getting a financial planner, figuring out where are all her resources. It's almost like starting life over in the very practical way and the emotional way. Well, every way. That was incredibly traumatic for her. Yeah. And getting her getting her through that was was our task. Helping her develop a new identity. Um that that Here's another example of, of how difficult that is. One one lady told me that she hated going to get the mail. The long dri- farm driveway to the mailbox was agony for her. How do you address a woman whose husband has passed on an envelope? Right. We're talking snail mail here, folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not email. Uh, she hated. She hated that. You know, uh, envelopes the, and stamps and paper <laughs> and pens, <laughs> and pens. <laughs> typewriters. Um, oh. You can't get it right. You know, she she would open. She would look at the first envelope, and you know, it was you know, Mrs. Tom Jones. Well, 
don't they know I'm not a missus anymore? Right. You and know, do people don't they even know Tom's think, not, yeah. Tom's dead? And have they forgotten? You know, or didn't, don't they know? Um, but I, what a traditional way to address someone. They just yeah, didn't think of that. They hey? could drop the missus, but then, then, then they're bad because they've forgotten that she was married. So it doesn't matter what you put on that envelope. It's disquieting and unsettling and disturbing and reminds her of where she's at. Uh, so developing a new identity. So okay. she has to figure that out. And it takes time to to get used to that, to, to find your way, um, to be okay with the with the aloneness. You know, yeah. waking up at the night and be used to reaching over and uh, in the bed uh, or having having your son come home after work and, and spending half an hour talking with him, like you said, you know, how, how would you do that? If 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 suddenly you were asked to walk the your your next part of your life without him, yeah, you know sometimes my husband well my husband goes out of town and sometimes I feel very alone and I'm mm-hmm. like I can't imagine mm-hmm. having this feeling every day mm-hmm. knowing that he's not actually coming home. Yeah. I mean we count the sleeps mm-hmm. that he comes home, yeah. and you know but. To imagine that my son wouldn't come home after work and mm-hmm. tell me about his day or my mm-hmm. uh, my daughter share her stories about work and mm-hmm. my husband coming home to me, I could not imagine. And in fact, I'm going to be um, vulnerable here. Uh, this morning when I thought about doing this radio show, I kept saying to myself, please don't cry. <laughs> and like I feel it right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. It's like I can feel other people's grief. Mm-hmm. And if I feel it this way now... Mm-hmm. Imagine how hundredfold that would be for someone who's mm-hmm. who's actually in the grieving mm-hmm. process. But I, I sometimes feel like I'm already in the grieving process because mm-hmm. my son has graduated from high school, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting glimpses of grief, mm-hmm. grief and loss. You've buried that part of the past. There's something new coming, and that's good. Yeah. But you don't have your little boy anymore. Yeah. That's a grief. That's a grief episode. Yeah, I I am grieving. <laughs> <laughs> And and that's what I think that's what makes you a good counselor, is oh, your ability you. to enter into what that might be like. That's that's doing work on behalf of future grievers that you're going to meet. Yeah, thank uh, you. Contemplating the mystery is number five, Esrina, and that is being fearless of entering into all of the questions that surround death because it, it 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 really is a mystery some people believe there's nothing some people believe there's an afterlife um it, the point isn't necessarily what it is but being unafraid of going to that place in your wilderness um and seeking help for that if you're if you're a person of faith um you know, I found it sitting in my office talking to, to people. Uh, some people abandon their search for meaning. Other people intensify it. They want to know more about, they, they want to make sure that their faith will sustain them. Mm-hmm. Some people's faith doesn't sustain them. Well, some people end up being very angry at God sure. for taking away their loved one. Sure. Yeah. And and that's that's understandable. It's that sense of powerlessness and helplessness and the, the realization that I'm not in control of a very important part of my existence, mm-hmm. the life of those around me and my own life. It raises questions. Someone else's death raises questions of my own mortality. Yeah. I need to, I need, part of the task, uh, tasks of mourning is to engage with that and to seek help for that part of my journey. Uh, it, it, it is a mystery. Um, and it... it 
here's some here are some words for for those that want to come around a griever. If I'm a person of faith, and I know my grieving friend isn't, I need to have a lot. I need to have a lot of patience. I need to. I need to unload any agenda that I have for for wanting my my grieving friend to um, either enter into new areas of faith or deeper. Um, I had one friend who who complained to me that every time her 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 faith friend she called her you know got stumped and there was a lull in the conversation she wanted to pray. She says, "Well, that may be good for her, but it's not meaningful for me." Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's what you mean about letting go of your own agenda when you're supporting yes. someone grieving. Okay. If it's mutually. Uh, agreed upon and satisfying and necessary by all means then it's important because that's they're they're acknowledging that's an okay part of my journey or a necessary part of my journey so enter into it wholeheartedly but if it isn't don't right that's that's abusive right so the contemplating the mystery is is critical Um, garnering support is number six we don't like to live alone we we get married, we have partners, we have children, we have community. Very few of us truly isolate ourselves. And we may do so for a while. We go off the grid or whatever. But that's difficult, and, and most of us don't. If we're don't, not going to live alone, then we probably shouldn't grieve alone. Right. There is a tendency to isolate, but so the task is to plow through that wanting to isolate and getting some help. My wife said to me this morning, I love the word counseling. Mm. It's such a positive word. Wow. There's a stigma. I know. That's the first thing I thought. Going for counseling. Yeah. There's something something wrong wrong with with me. Yeah. No, I just need some help. It's just saying I can't do everything by myself. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Hey, can you open this jar, honey? Sure. Well, does that mean she's a weakling? No. It just means she can't open that jar. Right. And she's not afraid to say, please help me. That's what counseling is. Yeah. Please help me open this jar. I can't get it open. And what a help beautiful thing when it. people are there to help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, grief support groups are, are amazing. They, they provide incredible uh, support. Looking into someone else's eyes and saying, wow, it's been two years for her and she's still feeling that? Awesome. I can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one is to discard any grief recovery timetable. You have been permanently changed. And coming to terms with that is, is important. Uh, it's, re- it's incredibly relieving to know that, okay, th- that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I, I'm looking ahead to, to is um, I'm, I don't have this person. Okay, so what, how am I going to live my life? Um, and instead of spending lots of energy waiting for me to get out of this dark place, You'll, you'll get out. When? I don't know. So if we're blocking grief, we just, the, the, the tool really is to say embrace it. Just allow it. Blocking in any way or pushing it away inevitably prolongs it. Or right. it, it darkens it. Yeah. Grief does not decompose. Right. It goes underground. And it comes up somewhere else in my life looking quite different perhaps 
can be explosive, uh, can be toxic. Um, so engaging in the tasks prevents that that burial um, in the attempt to 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 hide it away and thinking that it won't it won't affect me. So grieving, but honoring, honoring as Rena. Yeah. When we honor our pain, we honor our loved one. That's how you do it. Oh, Grief is love with no place to go. Interesting. Grief is love with no place to go. I love that, that image. Yeah. And it, it really is part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. We can't get away from it. So why not just em- embrace it? And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I use the word just, but it isn't mm-hmm. just. So mm-hmm. embrace it really is the key to mm-hmm. move through it. Yes. And I, I just want to say again, too, what you said uh, grieving, the grief is the internal environment that we have, the mm-hmm. feelings, the thoughts, right. even the body sensations. Mm-hmm. And the mourning is the act of processing that grief. And mm-hmm. the mourning is the empowering piece. Yes. And we really want to encourage people mm-hmm. to to process their grief with mm-hmm. mourning um, acts of mourning and that's empowering and mm-hmm. would it be fair to say that it people would get through it I want to say faster again but it's not better. it's better okay so get through the process better mm-hmm. okay and uh, just to finish up here anything else you want to share with the audience Claire hmm. get help yeah. uh, invite others into your life don't don't do this alone. Yeah. So we yeah. really are a community of people mm-hmm. helping people get through this life mm-hmm. with more ease. Yeah, and those support. who want to help do the hard work for on behalf of your grieving friend. Research. Find out what are the, what are the chances they'll need this and show up and provide that. And remember, if you don't know what to say, um, it's not necessary to say something so much as just be present and support your friend. Right. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much, Claire. You're that very was welcome. wonderful. Great to be um, with you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, audience, for, for tuning in. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Trauma Talk with Ezrina Rose Scott. Be sure to tune in to the program again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, make this week your best.